Coming to you entirely pre-recorded from the Garage of Solitude in Whitestone, Queens, I'm Mario Francisco Robles, and this is episode 178 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Uh, I know one particular person is very, very tired right now, and that would be my co-host, Mr. Brett Thomas Miro, because yes, just as I mentioned on the last episode last week, uh, he was on the verge of becoming a father at that point, and now he officially is a daddy. For those of you watching the show right now on YouTube, here's a picture of Vita Jolie Miro and a little Wonder Woman getup that Brett and Jesse put together for her. But yes, Vita Jolie Miro has now joined the Fanboy family. She's now a prominent member of Fanboy Nation, and we cannot wait to tackle her questions and topics in years to come and maybe have her on as a special correspondent at some point. But yes, Vita Jolie Miro arrived this past Saturday. So congratulations are in order to Brett and Jesse. Uh, Brett, I can't wait to see you again, man. Have you back here on the show. But for now, enjoy this wonderful haze you're in. The newborn haze is a very, very unique uh, stage of life. I've gone through it three times now, and uh, it's a very special time. So enjoy the bonding. Enjoy the long sort of sleepless nights. Enjoy the little quiet moments because uh, it's it's going to be th this is an adventure that lasts forever, Bretterson. So uh, just take it one step at a time. Soak it in. But yes, Brett is busy being a dad. So I am busy being a solo podcast host once more. And uh, I am going to just be diving straight in. I, I've got a, a lot of topics on deck. I've also fielded a whole ton of questions and topics over from Twitter. Thanks to you all who follow me over at Superman on film on the Twitter. I got a bunch of great topics and questions to get to as well. So here's uh, let's get into the show. What do you say? Let's have a show. Let's start with the Superman on film update for March the 10th, 2023. Well, folks, this is going to be perhaps the most uneventful one in a while, because you see, since the last show, there really hasn't been any new information, no news, no rumors, no major debunkings by James Gunn on anything on Twitter, no major teases dropped by James Gunn about anything on Twitter. So it's really been a little bit of an uneventful week in terms of discussing Superman on film, unless you want to talk a little bit about the fact that Tom King recently tweeted an image of the front cover of a world's finest comic book. And James Gunn was sure to retweet that image. And remember about a month ago now, a little over a month ago now, when the DCU slate was announced on January the 31st, we heard rumors that there were other projects, right? That there were some that could not be named for particular reasons, such as the title of the project might reveal too much about where the story is going, right? And, you know, one of the big speculations at the time was, what if it's a movie called World's Finest, right? And uh, listen, the fact that James Gunn retweeted that definitely sparked my imagination, it has me wondering if maybe that is something that we should kind of be considering that might be on the horizon. I do believe Tom King has had some proximity to DC Studios and things of late. So if World's Finest is on his mind and James Gunn is endorsing that as something that's on, that's on Tom King's mind, uh, I think that's just something worth paying attention to. Aside from that, if we're trying to like read into social media activity, the only other big Superman thing was James Gunn released, uh, well, not that he released, he posted a picture of himself on Wednesday holding a Superman mug with the hashtag Superman. Now, Probably means nothing, right? Here is the head of DC Studios holding up a mug of their flagship hero for DC. I mean, I know some will say it's Batman, but come on, it's Superman. You know, here is the head of DC Studios just showing some love to Superman, and he is writing Superman Legacy. So, of course, that leads people to go, well, maybe he's teasing something. Maybe this is 
further proof that he will be directing it. Because remember, that still has not been confirmed. While it still remains the running rumor and the running expectation as for what's going to be going on with who's directing Superman Legacy, it's going to be James Gunn. That's by all, you know, by all accounts, that's the road we're heading in. I don't know if a picture of him holding a Superman mug somehow uh, confirms or denies that. But uh, that's about the only interesting Superman legacy fact I can throw at you this week. Uh, also, there's been no information on the Ta-Nehisi Coates Black Superman movie, which is, you know, is, is supposedly still in the works and will be part of that DCU Elseworlds banner. But while on the topic of Black Superman, and while we're here in the Superman on film update portion of things, I do think we should talk a little bit about that Michael B. Jordan Val Zod series that he was developing there for HBO Max. Because you see earlier this week in an interview with Cinema Blend, uh, the interviewer tried to bring it up, tried to sneak in a question about the Valzad Superman movie. And before he could even finish the question and before Michael B. Jordan could even get out a syllable of some kind of non-answer, someone from Michael B. Jordan's team just cut right in and said, we're not talking about that. Next, basically, just like it was a quick, firm, hard pass. And uh, I went ahead and assumed that that meant that it's dead in the water. Some people think that that's just, oh, no, that, you know, they're just being secretive. There's always a, a, an element of secret. They're not allowed to talk about certain things until they're closer to being released. But that's really not the impression I got. Watching the video, watching the tone, watching how sort of like deathly serious things became, I have a feeling that the Jordan Valzad series is kind of disappearing along with some of the other things that uh, you know, James Gunn has sort of nipped and, and, and cut off ever since becoming the co-head of DC studios. I kind of feel like Michael B. Jordan was kind of stepping into DC at a certain point last year in a very similar position to Dwayne Johnson, where he kind of saw an opportunity to come in and not only star in something, but also produce. He saw that DC at the time was a little more of like the Wild West. And while over in the MCU, it's a well-oiled machine and everything goes through Feige and everything is under some cohesive, coherent, unified plan, over at DC, everything was kind of all over the place. So if you recall, last year, not only did he reveal that he was you know, producing and set the star in a Valzad Superman series, but also he was going to be producing a movie about static shock about DC's static. So they, and funny enough, there's actually a question about that later. One of the listeners asked me about if I think that we're going to be getting a static movie and we're going to get into that a little later, but for now, I get the sense that Jordan was stepping in kind of like Dwayne Johnson, kind of like, all right, I'm going to lay claim to a particular corner of dc here you know it seems like all these different pieces are up for grabs and uh you know this walter hamada guy is big on the multiverse and having all of these different disconnected sort of movies so i'm gonna step in there using my considerable star power and i'm gonna try to carve out my own corner of the dc universe remember James Gunn used that very interesting phrase uh, early on about how nobody at DC was minding the mint, that they were just handing IP out to anyone who just batted an eyelash at them and, and tried to just, you know, anyone who could just sweet talk them could get access to whatever characters and IP they wanted. That's how James Gunn viewed it. And I kind of feel like the Michael B. Jordan thing might be part of that. You know, Jordan showed up at a time when Hamada was kind of like, you know, the, the writing on the wall was starting to come, that there was going to be a merger soon and his power was starting to wane and starting to leave. And the DC brand as a whole is still kind of in this weird state of flux. And I swear Jordan came in there with his bright idea to make a black Superman series starring himself and to produce a static 
series, a movie which would presumably become its own franchise and he can make money on the back end of that as a producer. And I think James Gunn showed up, saw that and said, thank you, but no thank you. Just like he did to Dwayne Johnson, just like he did to Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman 3 script, just like he's been doing quietly behind the scenes since taking the co-lead position over there at DC Studios. He's been very you know, carefully pruning the bonsai tree that is DC on film and on screen. You know, so I kind of get the sense that the Valzad series is no is no longer a thing. And uh, by that token, I also think that the static movie that he was producing is no longer a thing. So just in terms of this Superman on film update, while there's not much about legacy, I've got a very strong hunch about one of these recent Superman projects being in gestation, uh, falling off the table here. So I think we could firmly uh, say goodbye to the Valzad Superman series. That is my bold prediction. We'll see if I'm correct. And now we are moving on. So uh, as you know, when the Gods and Monsters Chapter 1 uh, was revealed on January the 31st, 2023, you know, we found out about 10 projects, right? We found out about 10 projects, including Superman Legacy, that were going to comprise Chapter 1. And at the time, we were talking about maybe one secret project, which I mentioned a few minutes ago that couldn't be named because the title was a little too uh, revelatory. But this week, we found out it was way more than one, okay? Because, yes, we found out about 10 projects, and yet, when asked how many, how much of Chapter 1 do those projects comprise, uh, James Gunn said it was less than half, okay? Listen to that. Less than half. So if we're looking at 10 projects, and that is less than half, that means we're looking at at least, at least 22 projects that feed into and make up chapter one of the DCU. And again, I repeat, that's just chapter one, okay? And, 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 and mind you, we've already heard that this is going to be a two-chapter saga. Okay, and that he plans on telling this two chapter saga over the course of eight to 10 years. Okay, that doesn't mean chapter one is going to take eight to 10 years, that means both chapters will take eight to 10 years. Okay, so that means that let's say it's 22. Let's say it's 22. That means we're going to get. 22 DCU projects in just the first four or five years of the DCU being in existence, which really, you remember, it's pretty much kicking off at the start of 2025. So that means that from 2025 to about 2030, we are going to get around 22 projects that can stand on their own, but all feed a grander story. Then after 2030, we're going to get presumably into chapter two. And I don't know how many movies that's going to have, but just to, just to kind of break down some of these numbers, okay? Because 22 is an interesting number to be going with here. Because what did Marvel Studios do, right? What did they do over on the other side of town? Marvel Studios told the entire Infinity Saga, okay? From Iron Man through Avengers Endgame, the Infinity Saga was told over 22 movies over an 11-year span, okay? From 2008 to 2019, Marvel gave us 22 movies, and it culminated with Endgame, okay? Right now, we're looking at 22 movies and TV series, and that's just halfway to the big payoff at the end, okay? So, like, to me, that's a little bit mind-blowing. That means that James Gunn and Peter Safran are working on something that is absolutely massive in scope. This is huge. Let's assume that if, if, if it's half and half 
are we really looking at 40 plus projects over the next 10 years? Once we get going from 2025 to 2035, are we going to get like 40 DC projects? That's an average of four projects a year for 10 years. So I don't know how, you know, what the anticipated rollout is. I don't know how many projects per year. I don't know how many TV series he intends to have running. Because remember, some of these are shows like, like Waller and Booster Gold and Lanterns, which will presumably have multiple seasons too. Like, who knows? But like the fact that these 10 projects we've heard about are less than half of chapter one. Um, it's just a little mind boggling. And I think it speaks to the scope and size and scale of what Gunn has referred to as the biggest story ever told. So I'm very intrigued by that. That was kind of an interesting revelation. You know, it's not a Superman on film specific revelation, but it's just, if you're a fan of DC, it looks like we're going to be getting a lot of it come 2025. And uh, listen, I'm 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 all for it. It's just going to be interesting to see how the quality control works out, how the synergy amongst the projects works out, how all these different filmmakers and showrunners and everyone works under James Gunn and Peter Safran's you know watchful eye, you know. Because remember too, they're going to be very hands on with this. Gunn early on when talking about casting rumors. He made it very clear. He said, we are going to be casting hundreds of roles. Okay. And me and Brett kind of chewed on that for a little bit. He said, we are going to be casting hundreds of roles. That means that no matter who is directing these things, James Gunn and Peter Safran will be sitting in there and making sure that they have a hand in the casting in the look and the feel of all of these things. So with, um, with all that in mind, it's just, it's all a little mind boggling in scope. And I can't wait to see, you know, when we first, when we start getting our, our, our first casting announcements and when, uh, you know, how the team is going to coalesce, right? It's going to be very interesting to see how the team coalesces. This is going to be the first time that DC on film is united at under one creative vision for kind of the whole thing. So, you know, for, for those of us who've been kind of hoping for someone to come in as the chief architect who make, who understands the lore decides the course that we're heading on and pulls all the projects in that direction. Uh, as someone who's been wanting that for a long time, the great experiment of how that's going to work out is going to reveal itself in the next couple of years. So uh, let's see, let's see. But um, but also in terms of like the scale of what Gunn is doing, I think people are kind of like underestimating what's going on over there. They're, they're thinking almost kind of like simplistically. You know, I feel like since Marvel sort of created the blueprint of like, here's a bunch of solo films and then an Avengers movie to sort of celebrate. And here's a bunch of solo films and now another Avengers movie as the big chapter ender. You know, Marvel has sort of set that pattern and set that pace. And I feel like people are expecting the DCU to go along those lines. What I mean is, you know, people are already fan casting and coming up with like, who is James Gunn's Justice League going to be? What's going to be the lineup of characters that he chooses for his Justice League? And what's going to be the first Justice League movie that he makes in all this? And to me, it's like, I don't think that's where he's going with all this. I don't think that these chapters are built around getting us to Justice League movies as the big event films. I have a feeling that, look, I think there's going to be a Justice League. And we're going to see them glimpsed and used. And depending on where in the timeline certain projects take place, we might see one that's already in action, you know, a Justice League team that already exists. We might see a Justice League team that's maybe at the very humble beginnings of starting to come together. But I don't think we're building towards a traditional 
Justice League movie. We're like, that is the big event film. We're like, the end of chapter one is going to be Justice League versus some big foe. And the, and the movie is going to be called Justice League semicolon some sort of threat. You know, and I and same thing for the end of chapter two. I don't think it's going to Justice League Kingdom Come. Like, no, I think the event films that Gunn is planning for the DCU are going to be much more like story based, plot based event films. Stuff where it's like, you know, where just like to pull ones out of the air, like it'll just be like. It'll be called Crisis for Crisis on Infinite Earths. It'll be called Kingdom Come for the Kingdom Come story. It'll be it'll be movies and event films that are based around the big story hook that is going to be, you know, um, sort of implemented and revealed through the first slate of projects that are coming out. You know, the big event films are going to be very narrative based. That's just a hunch I have. But I really I just I don't think that Justice League is sort of the big end game, so to speak, for what James Gunn and Peter Safran are heading towards. And on the contrary, you know, I keep hearing interesting rumors from friends of mine closer to the situation that, you know, he might be looking at other teams entirely. At, as the teams that are going to get a little more focused this time around. You know, we might be seeing like the Legion of Superheroes take on a larger, you know, uh, a larger role in, in DC on film. You know, I, I don't think Justice League is the big thing. So I just want to just kind of float that out there because I see a lot of people just instantly assume that, well, they're going to follow the Marvel blueprint, you know? And listen, if you just look at the movies, if you just look at the projects, they do not scream the formation of a team up of a team. You know, the, if you it, it's creature commandos, it's the authority like we're seeing all these weird, you know, groups pop up. We're seeing Swamp Thing, who's not a Justice Leaguer. You know, we're seeing all these different characters who are, you know, and like, with the Brave and the Bold, for example, this looks like a Batman who's got a lot on his plate. OK, this is a Batman dealing with Damian Wayne and the Bat family and all that. I don't think this is a Batman that we're going to be seeing terribly uh, locked up inside of the Justice League for now. You know what I mean? It seems like the stories they want to tell in the early going here are not about introducing the standalone heroes before we get them into a team, as has been sort of like the archetype of late. So. I just don't see it. But then again, with us knowing less than half of the projects, who knows? Maybe maybe there are a ton of solo movies that are still to come and that will, you know, kind of paint the picture of what Justice League he's building us towards. But as a hunch, I just I for some reason I have some great resistance towards the idea that the that the event films, the big turning point cornerstone moments of the dcu are going to be in movies that have justice league in the title i just i think that's a very simplistic way of looking at things and i for one don't think it's going to go that way um also there in the world of dc we found out this week remember that batman caped crusader animated series coming from matt reeves and jj abrams and bruce tim the one that almost seems like it'll be a pseudo spin-off of matt reeves the batman verse similar to how batman the animated series shared a little dna with the tim burton batman movies with the music and what kind of like the kind of 40s noir art deco style of gotham and that batmobile you know, um, yeah, just as Batman, the animated series seemed to be like a cousin of the Tim Burton films. Uh, it looks like, you know, that Batman uh, caped crusader is going to have a similar relationship to the Batman with Robert Pattinson. And uh, a few months back, it was reported that the series was no longer being developed for HBO Max and was actually being shopped out to other streamers. And there was a lot of controversy about that. People some people took it like a cancellation. Some people took it as mismanagement. But look, we now have news. 
Amazon Prime has picked up Batman Caped Crusader. And not just for one season. They've made a two-season order right out of the gate. So there must have been some sort of pitch. Something was uh, revealed to them that made them go, okay, we want two full seasons of this just for starters. So Batman Crusader, Batman Caped Crusader has found a home at Amazon Prime. And is that weird? You know, is that a strange decision? And, you know, let's break that down a little bit. Because at the time when it first happened, I pointed out that Batman is a hot IP right now. And I mean, hot IP in general has been for the last 20 years. And right now, if you are Warner Brothers Discovery and you're doing research on what, what's working and what's not working for your HBO Max app, you have to ask yourself, do I want to keep on just filling in my pre-existing DC base with more DC content? Uh, in other words, just keep the people who already have HBO Max, just keep them well fed. Or do I want to try to maybe sell off certain pieces of my characters so I can make millions of dollars on the side and not even have to really worry about producing these because now this is being handled over at a different streamer, you know, kind of hand it off, license it out, make the money on it. And if Batman Cape Crusaders, you know, is going to get two full seasons at Amazon, I'm sure that Warner Brothers Discovery is is going to make a hefty licensing fee on that. Okay. Especially since it is Matt Reeves and it is JJ Abrams and it will have some connectivity, presumably to the Batman. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of money exchanging hands here. And I'm sure that they did their own cost analysis and they're like, Listen, if we put this on HBO Max, is anyone going to subscribe to HBO Max just to watch Batman Cape Crusader? Probably not. So we're not going to get extra money for putting this show on our streamer. But we can get extra money if we sell it to some other streaming giant that is starving for content and starving for hot, uh, you know, trending content like the Batman always tends to be. So, yes, Batman Cape Crusader has landed at Amazon Prime. Um, and uh, check this out. Another bit of news kind of segueing away from D.C. I'll be getting more into D.C. in a little bit when we get into the listener questions. But now kind of uh, veering off from that, um, John Bernthal is returning as the Punisher in Daredevil Born Again on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to repeat that for you. John Bernthal's Punisher. Okay, we are going to see his Punisher return, and we're going to see his Punisher interact once more with Charlie Cox's Daredevil in Daredevil Born Again on Disney+. Plus. Uh, to me, that is such exciting news. Uh, I love John Bernthal's Punisher. I thought the the what, what we saw on Netflix was great, and I wanted to see more. So the, that announcement definitely got my attention. I think Bernthal is a very compelling actor, and I've been a fan of his for many, many years now. So to see him get to revisit that role and get to add some more chapters to that character's story, that's pretty darn cool. You know, and I'm kind of hoping that uh, maybe this isn't the only place he returns to, you know, because he also he's a sizable star. He's been in a lot of you know big movies and big series. You know, Marvel Studios would do well to keep him there in house, keep him in the stable of talent that you've got and give us some more Punisher content, will you? But yes, John Bernthal's Punisher is returning and I am here for it. Uh, speaking of returns, uh, something I don't get to talk about much here on the show is my love of a certain adult cartoon from the mid-90s, and that is Mike Judge's Beavis and Butthead. I rarely talk about them here on the show because, honestly, they haven't been that relevant in many, many years. But thanks to Paramount+, Plus, last year we got a brand spanking new season from Mike Judge of Beavis and Butthead. They're back. My wife and I uh, are love the first season. 
Uh, we still haven't seen Beavis and Butthead do the universe, which is the new movie that came out. But now we know that season two is on the way. Season two of the Beavis and Butthead revival just got a release date. And fittingly, it's on 420. That's right. Beavers and Butthead is coming out on April the 20th, and 420 is a special holiday for many a person who might enjoy watching an adult animated vulgar cartoon on that day for some reason. But yes, 420, April 20th, Beavers and Butthead comes back to Paramount+. Plus. If you have not yet uh, checked out the new season, if you don't yet have Paramount+, Plus, by the way, I'm a big fan. I got it a few months back. I got it with the Showtime add-on. So for like 13 bucks or something like that, I get all of Paramount Plus, which has a lot of good stuff on it, as well as all of Showtime. So I, I tend to uh, think rather fondly of my Paramount Plus subscription, especially when it gives me more beeves and butthead to enjoy. So if you are a fan of that show, uh, April 20th, we will be getting more of it. And uh, speaking of getting more of things, we're getting more Ninja Turtles soon. Have you seen the new trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? Because I did. Um, and I feel like I have to cover this because Brett loves him some Ninja Turtles and he couldn't be on episode 178. So I'm going to go ahead and bring it up for him. Yes, there is an absolutely awesome trailer. For Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem being produced by Seth Rogen. And uh, for starters, this thing has a very unique animation style. The best way I can sort of describe it and compare it is to the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. What Sony Pictures did over there with Into the Spider-Verse. Where it looks almost sketched, but it also is clearly CG but it's very kind of like artfully done. It doesn't look like glossy CG balloon characters. It looks like sketched, almost like stop motion animation in certain ways. And uh, this thing looks crazy. I mean, you've got Jackie Chan in there as Master Splinter. You've got John Cena in there in the cast somewhere. I mean, you can't see him, but he's in there. And I mean, there's a bunch of great names in the cast, but... As I was watching it, I just found myself just grinning from ear to ear. Because even though it's a new iteration of these characters, it felt recognizable to me. And it felt like the Ninja Turtles that I love, kind of just with new life to them, being introduced to a new generation. And I can't wait. Now, I, I, I immediately said, I got to take my kids to see that as soon as it comes out. And I'm excited now to kind of give them a new team of Ninja Turtles to follow, you know? So, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, but Mutant Mayhem, the trailer looks great. There have been some interesting tweaks, it looks like, you know, uh, April in this one is African-American. And I'm sure there are some people who are freaking out about that. But the one thing I noticed is that her vibe, her interplay with the Turtles, it seems like it's going to be completely platonic. And I'm so good with that. All right? we We've seen a number of iterations where it's borderline creepy, where, like, she seems to have the hots for a turtle, or the turtle seems to have hots for her, and it's this whole interspecies love affair. Uh, this time around, I get the sense that she's just their friend. And I'm kind of down to just see April be their friend, you know, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if that assumption ends up being accurate, but I definitely liked what I saw. Um, and, uh, yeah, now I'm going to move on to another trailer reaction. This actually came from Isaac Wolf, longtime listener and friend of the show and friend of mine, Isaac from Sweden. Isaac wanted me to watch the trailer for Sisu. Have you heard of Sisu? Uh, I didn't until Isaac told me to watch it. And, uh, you know, it's pretty funny because almost right out of the gate, it says, from the studio that brought you John Wick. So it kind of shows you, like, what you're getting yourself into here. But Sisu looks like a balls-to-the-wall insane action revenge sort of caper it, it looks almost it looks like john wick 
in Nazi Germany in the snow. Like it, you know, it, it has that very sort of same like hard edged uh, way of showing the violence. It looks like it's going to be an insane ride. And once again, they're basically taking the John Wick formula and just adapting it to another type of story. Because what worked for John Wick? It was the simplicity of the story. You, you, you get this character who you've established was a badass in his past who you don't want to mess with. You, you set up a villain that we would love to see fall. You have the villain do something very relatable and, and crushing to our main hero. And you watch our hero get delightful, bloody revenge for the next hour and a half. This looks like that, but killing Nazis. So I'll take it. Uh, and, and in this particular case, you know, it, it shows this guy. I don't know the actor. It seems to be like Finnish actors. Uh, I didn't recognize any of the people. It seems to be like Finland, uh, a, a Finnish production. But yeah, it, you, you see a guy who's uh, digging for, for, for gold and he finds gold. And now the, the place where he can go to sell the gold is 536 miles away. And while he's on his way to try to, I guess, sell and, and make as much as he can for the gold, he encounters a bunch of Nazis who get in his path. And uh, I guess, you know, one thing leads to another and he has to go on a rageful, vengeful quest. And uh, there's even him the interplay with him and a cute dog in case you were weren't already thinking about John Wick and a man and his dog. Uh, this has some of that, too. But, uh, yeah, Sisu looks crazy. It comes out in April. It will even though it seems to be a foreign film, uh, it looks like it's getting a limited release here in the States. So just based on the trailer, I might be going to see it because, listen, there's something about the wish fulfillment of watching some badass guy who wants to do good, but the dark world just pulls him back in and he has to teach these bastards a lesson. There's just something about that formula. It's like cathartic, you know, watching this person fight back against an oppressive group of people, a, you know, a, a cruel villain, somebody who would just do something that's just heartless. You know, you want to see the hero get back at them. And Sisu looks like another one of these sort of like revenge porn uh, action extravaganzas. But uh, yes, Sisu, S-I-S-U. If you haven't seen the trailer yet, uh, go, go out of your way to find it there on the YouTube. I did, and I was not disappointed. Um, speaking of not being disappointed, uh, RoboCop's getting the game. Have you heard? RoboCop Rogue City is coming out. And they got Peter Weller back to play RoboCop. So I'm very psyched about that. And now we finally got ourselves a gameplay trailer. That's right. It arrives on Thursday. We got our first real look at how RoboCop will be playing. And uh, I, went through, I went through a few different emotions watching the clip. Because at first, when I realized it's going to be a first-person shooter, I got a little bummed. You know, I, I tend to be more of a fan of the third-person perspective. I like seeing my character, especially in this particular case. It's RoboCop. You know, I wish I could see him in front of me, especially since it's Peter Weller and they went through the trouble of getting him back. So when I realized, like, oh, I'm not going to watch my awesome blue steel half-man, half-robot RoboCop tear through this city, I'm going to be looking through his eyes the whole time. Eh. But then I watch the action on display. I watch the gameplay. I look at the graphics. I look at the 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 way the visor scans things and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'll give you a try. Yeah, Rogue City looks pretty badass. So if it, if we have any people who love the Paul Verhoeven original RoboCop, uh, it looks like there's a movie being made for uh, a movie, a game being made for us. So uh, go look for the Rogue City gameplay trailer. I'm very, very intrigued, and I wonder if it's going to have some multiplayer. We shall see about that. But okay, now it is time for your questions. So let's go ahead and get into some of the questions uh, I solicited over on the Twitter. 
on Thursday, nice and early. And I'm glad I did because I got a whole bunch of very interesting questions from you all. So let's go ahead and get into them, shall we? So Malik Matthews has asked, do you think the JSA will continue in the DCU? You'll know soon why I ask this question. Uh, well, first of all, Malik, I, uh, that second part sounds very tantalizing. That's, uh, that's quite a tease. I'll know soon why you're asking. Uh, what do you know that I don't know? What's going on here, Malik? But uh, yes, to, add, to answer your question, you know, the key word for me there is continue continue in the dcu see that would imply that it is the justice society that we just met in dwayne johnson's black adam movie and no if that's the case hard no i don't think there's any chance we see any continuation of anything that was introduced in black adam now does this mean i think there's no justice society absolutely not I would not be surprised if if James Gunn does introduce us to a justice society of some in some form over the course of uh, chapter one or two. But if we do, it's not going to be played by you. Know, it's not going to be Aldous Hodge, Noah Centineo, Pierce Brosnan and uh, whoever else was on the team in Black Adam. Uh, it's not going to be them. So to answer your question, no, I don't think that that justice society will continue. Uh, I think we may see a justice society, but it'll be a different iteration of the team. And uh, as for your, I will soon know why, uh, I guess I'll soon know why. All right. Next question comes from Ron Diesel. How you doing, Ron? Long time listener. Ron said, for brave and the bold, what kind of Batmobile you think we are going to get? A mixture of what came before or something similar from the Arkham Knight game. So, okay, Ron, here's what I think. Uh, the way I break down this question is more so the difference between something stylized and something practical. Uh, for me, like I feel like with Matt Reeves, the Batman, we have something extremely practical, right? His bat, his Batmobile is just a muscle car. It, it 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 barely looks different than just your standard big black beautiful muscle car. It's got a little bit of extra detailing, but it could really just be a car on the road. And if if it drove past you, unless you stared directly at it, you might not even realize that it's the Batmobile, right? I think for the brave and the bold everything is going to be more stylized. Everything is going to be far more comic book, like far more, you know, looks like something that could have just driven right off the page or right off the screen of an animated series, so to speak. So I think the, the Batmobile that we're going to see in the brave and the bold, it isn't going to be something like what Matt Reeves is doing. It isn't going to be something like what Christopher Nolan did, because that's another version of a practical Batmobile, right? The Tumbler was like this, you know, this, this jumping tank that had real military tech and was meant to be like, you know, what would a vigilante need in a practical sense out of their crime fighting vehicle? You know, and the Tumblr was very much designed with that sort of, you know, aesthetic in mind of being something practical and realistic. And you could almost see this being used in real military scenarios, right? So I don't think we're going the Reeves or the Nolan way. I think we're probably going to go a variation of like the Snyder way, which, you know, Snyder's Batmobile looked like it could have been in a comic book. It even looked like it could have been in the uh, Arkham games. You know, it could have been in Arkham Knight. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to get something like that. There's something that's got some color to it. Not something that's going to be solid black like Michael Keaton's. I think it's going to have maybe some blue or something else. Maybe the emblem will be on there somewhere. It should have some sort of pointy wing stuff towards the back and a big turbo cannon. You know, I'm picturing something that looks like it came right out of a comic book 
when it comes to what we're going to see in the Brave and the Bold. Not something that could be confused for either a regular car or some kind of military tech. I just don't see that happening. Um, but while on the subject of Batman, uh, Mark at Gotham Mark on the Twitter asked, how do you think Batman villains will be dealt with between the two iterations and even split? DCU Fantastical versus Reeves Grounded with no crossover and the other won't use? Or could you see both using, for example, Joker, Riddler, etc., right from the start? That's a good question, Mark. Um, so first and foremost, when it comes to Fantastical versus Grounded, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be very one of the obvious places where we're going to see some differentiation between the Brave and the Bold Batman and the Matt Reeves Batman. I think the Matt Reeves Batman is going to have more grounded villains, people who could exist in real life, who are sort of devious, but real. You know, if you look at the Batman, you know, the Penguin is just kind of a creep and he could totally exist. The Riddler is a mad you know is a mad genius but we've seen some of these psychopaths who go on you know killing sprees and and these megalomaniacal type of serial killer you know types and uh the, his riddler could have very well been that and even the joker that we saw it was a joker that had something sort of like a skin condition and the scarring is very much you know it, it's explained it's you know everything it, it the Reeves verse is a lot like the Nolan verse, which was one of my complaints, honestly. I'm like, we already saw the kind of, you know, what if this was real life take on Batman? And I think that Reeves is kind of, you know, in that same wheelhouse again. So I think just in terms of fantastical versus realistic, yeah, the DCU Batman is more than likely to face characters like Man Bat and Clayface while the Reeves Batman will be facing, you know, grounded versions of characters like, uh, I mean, take your pick. You know, they, it's funny. There's so many rogues that that's another reason, by the way, I don't think for Batman, since he has so many well-known and notable villains, I don't think that there has to be any overlap. I think that they can very easily avoid using the same characters and i think they're gonna i think it's the smart way to do it because if you think about it you know it's one thing to explain that the batman takes place in the elseworlds and that the dcu the brave and the bold takes place you know where everybody else is but it's another to like literally Look at all of these same characters with alternate castings and the movies are all coming out concurrently. You know, I think it kind of like stretches the ability of the audience to continue to sort of buy in and follow and be okay with everything, you know, and with something like, um, with something like this, I just, I, it's going to be very easy to just differentiate and 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 keep certain villains in the in 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 the Reeves verse and certain villains in the DCU verse, um, but in terms of just specifically now, like, uh, do do I see them? I again, I think I've just answered that. I don't see them overlapping. I see the bigger, over the top ones going to the DCU, and I see the grounded ones going to the Reeves verse. Okay. Um. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about static. I got a question from Demand, who is at Super Derek seven seven six five on the Twitter. He asked, "Do you think we're getting static in the DCU?" Um, listen, he's an interesting character, right? And he was originally conceived to be almost like DC's answer, like an updated sort of Spider-Man archetype. I think that there's definitely a reason Michael B. Jordan saw that there could be a gold mine there. And uh, I could see James Gunn thinking along those lines as well. You know, a sort of African-American Spider-Man type of underdog character um, who has the benefit of never having been done on the big screen before. 
So there's not like this big, you know, there aren't preconceived notions about what static should be. So someone could just step in and really, you know, create some space for themselves around how static looks and feels on the big screen. So I think uh, I think Static Shock is a likely character. I don't know when he would do it, but it does seem like something James Gunn would absolutely want to, you know, would want to have a look at. Next, we got DCU Lantern News at Lanterns News DCU on the Twitter. DCU Lantern News asked, what color combo do you want for the new DCU Batsuit? Also, do you want the DCU Green Lanterns to have white gloves? Because I do. And should the suits be real and not animated? Oh, boy. That's a few questions in one there. In terms of the new DCU suit, I mean, yeah, listen. Now that I caught a glimpse of Ben Affleck rocking the gray and the blue, in that Flashman, Flashman, in that The Flash trailer, uh, it totally has me wanting more of Batman in the gray and the blue. Even though, you know, I could also go for the gray and the black. You know, I want like a nice pronounced gray and black. I know we technically got gray and black with Batfleck and Batman versus Superman and whatnot. But, you know, there was some, since the whole thing was so dark since the whole movie since everything was sort of shot and made so sort of dark and grim and gothic looking yeah I, I felt like i couldn't properly enjoy the grays and the blacks there that much you know something where it's a little more vivid the the, the contrast and um yeah either gray and black or gray and blue for me when it comes to the dcu bat suit when it comes to the lanterns i'm not particularly uh picky about the gloves i can go white or black with the gloves but what i cannot do is an animated suit again please no animated suit i hope we learned from 2011 uh yes if we're gonna get a suit for the green lantern let it please be something practical, okay? Please. Um, here's friend of the show, Super James Prescott at James Prescott 77. Uh, James asks, outside of Superman Legacy, what DCU project are you most excited about and why? Also, if you ever need a co-host for an episode to talk Superman, always here, my friend. Thank you, James. I know you're here for that. You're a good egg, you. And uh, I had you on a few months ago when we both were celebrating that Henry Cavill was back. And I do intend to have you on again in the future. Um, but to answer your question, outside of Superman Legacy, which DCU project am I most excited about and why? You know, ordinarily, right out of the gate, it would be Batman because that is you know, my holy trinity is Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Those are my three main heroes, always have been. So for me, any slate that includes a Superman movie and a Batman movie, those are immediately slots one and two for me. But in this particular case, it's interesting because I've already got a Batman that I really enjoy with Matt Reeves, right? And I'm about to get a Batman that I don't really know that well in the brave and the bold because i don't you know i i haven't read the the morrison run that that the, these books are apparently going to be based on i've got them on the way i'm looking forward to reading them but i haven't read the stories and the world that these books are apparently sort of you know being adapted from so considering i've got a batman i already like and I'm getting a Batman that I'm sort of unfamiliar with. I, I've really, I've, I have no dealings really with the Damian Wayne character. That's a whole other, you know, world. Remember, I am a movie guy, and I am a a a, a particular animated series and TV series guy. When it comes to comic books, I still have big blank spaces. I have still huge swaths of source material that I need to work my way through. That's why I'm Superman on film, not Superman in comics, because uh, I'm the film guy. So listen, I, I'm working my way through the literature 
and getting all of this DCU research homework from James Gunn has been very fun. But uh, in terms of um, in terms of what I'm most looking forward to right now, I got to tell you, my number two in the DCU is Swamp Thing. Because we've got James Mangold in there, and that is a director who I have the utmost faith in. He's proven himself to me time and time again. I'm a massive fan of his work. And we've got it based on the Alan Moore run. And even though I haven't read it yet, again, that's another one that is on the way. So I'm looking forward to reading up on that. But I am familiar with Alan Moore's work. I've already read a few of his books. So, but the Alan Moore source material, check. James Mangold behind the character, behind the camera, check. And Swamp Thing, a mysterious and interesting, unique character, check. I'm very intrigued. And then you add into that the fourth component, which is it's going to be a horror movie. You know, James Gunn has promised that this thing is going to be scary and this is not going to be like your typical superhero flick. You know, it seems like he kind of wants to do what Marvel pretended to do, which was, you know, by having each of these movies kind of exist in their own space, be their own unique genre. So for me as a horror buff, getting to see a Swamp Thing horror movie based on Alan Moore directed by James Mangold. Yeah, that is uh that is absolutely my 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 second most uh anticipated dcu film now we've got kryptonian orphan kryptonian orphan 38 asks which villains or villain do you think will be featured in legacy please row no lex luthor i'm right there with you i'm right there with you kryptonian orphan please Let's keep Lex on the back burner, okay? He can be there as a bit player, or he can be there maybe as like, you know, we, we see his public face, and maybe Clark doesn't know the real Lex yet. You know, if, if they want to try to have the Lex who's either a successful businessman or a politician of some kind or the mayor, you know, have him involved in some way you show him in superman legacy but do not have him be a villain yet and kind of maybe build to that but i do not i i am in no hurry i am in no rush to see luthor just like last week i said i'm in no rush to see general zod so look i obviously the popular answer everyone says brainiac and that's my number one too that's the one i want to see but others have pointed out and i tend to agree that he's a pretty massive scale villain. That is a big story to tell. And it's kind of a big one for movie one, especially if he's going to vanquish the villain. If he's going to beat Brainiac in his first movie, that's like kind of a bummer. You know, I kind of want to build to Brainiac, so to speak. That should be a big climactic battle, depending on how they, how they, you know, put it all together. So um, that leaves, you know, I mean, Superman's rogues gallery is an interesting one because you've got some really compelling, interesting ones. You have a lot of bizarre ones that probably would not work on the big screen. But then again, I could see James Gunn wanting to put, you know, Mr. Mixelpix, uh, you know, in a movie. I could see, you know, th there's certain things I, I could see him uh, pulling from just to be a little out there and to not retread the same territory. Um, but you know, I, I tend to feel like it's going to land somewhere either in the Mixelpick, Metallo, Parasite, Bizarro sort of realm of villain there in the beginning. That uh, I, I feel like that's kind of the direction we're heading in there, you know. Uh, and I and and in particular, I think Bizarro could be interesting. I know we just saw him on Superman and Lois, but they could approach it a little bit differently. But thinking about legacy, you know, if this is a movie where he's trying to 
kind of balance out his effect on the world and how the world sees him and what kind of a tool for good he's being or not being, depending on how he's assessing his, his work as Superman so far. You know, Bizarro could be an interesting one to do for a movie called Legacy, especially if, like, at first he's embraced by the public. If at first, you know, this clone of Superman who maybe does things a little bit differently uh, at first is almost like a lens It's uh, for Superman to see how the world sees him and how they react to him and the impact he's having so far. And then as the story wears on, he starts morphing more and more into, so into sort of like the monstrous Bizarro that we know more from the comics. You know, but I could see Bizarro as a sort of twisted counterpoint to Superman could bring up some interesting sort of thematic story points there for, you know, Superman at being what he wants you know, as he sees himself and this alternate version of him and and how the world sees that one and how maybe they like that one more because he's more willing to like go uh, take things a step further or he's less of a Mr. Nice guy. Like I just, you know, I, I could see Bizarro being an interesting one for um for Legacy, all right? Um but again, I don't think we're going for Brainiac immediately. I don't think he's going to touch Zod anytime soon, especially with the Flash now rehashing Zod again. Um, I don't see him going right to Doomsday. You know, I think he might want to save Mongol for when they want to get into some other, you know, space invadery type stuff. But then again, they could go there. They could go to Mongol. I don't know. But either way. That is uh, that is some of my early sort of speculating on the villains for for Superman Legacy, and now one of the last ones here comes from Kenny Crayley Jr. How you doing, Kenny? Uh, at Kenny Crayley over on the Twitter, he asks, "Do you think Smallville and the Kent Farm should play an important role in Superman Legacy? In most Superman live action and animated adaptations, it has." with the exception of the DCEU, which, personally speaking, was lacking. That should be an element to Clark's life he should have. Yes, it should be, Kenny. Uh, just as I've been saying over on Twitter, and just as I was pleading here on this very show last week in episode 177, uh, just, you know, I was pleading to keep Jonathan Kent alive, right? I'm a big proponent of the idea of... Jonathan Kent deserves to live. I'm tired of him getting killed off on the big screen and elsewhere for some sort of dramatic plot twist for Clark. All right. There's other ways to get Clark to embrace the hero he's destined to be than by having poor old Jonathan die of a heart attack. Okay. So the reason I link the two together is because, yeah, Kenny, that's why I want Jonathan to live. I want to have the Kent farm and, and Smallville be an important place for, for this Clark and this Superman to go to from time to time to seek guidance from his parents or to reconnect with his roots or to help out around the farm. Because, you know, no matter how big you get, no matter how many lives you save, you still got to help mom and dad out. Right. So, you know, I, I feel like, Absolutely. To answer your question, yes, the Kent Farm and Smallville should hopefully be an important fixture of not just legacy, but for any of the upcoming Superman movies that are going to come from legacy. So, yes, Kenny, I'm right there with you. Uh, yes, give me Smallville, give me the Kent Farm, and don't skimp. Okay. And, uh, now, here we go from the DVD guy at Fanatic Prime on the Twitter. The DVD, the DVD guy asks, what are you most hoping to see in Superman Legacy? So, it's funny. I want simply what was teased in Man of Steel. Okay? Man of Steel did a wonderful job of explaining that the S on his chest 
wasn't an S, that on his world, it meant hope. And uh, Jor-El said, you know, the people of Earth, they will stumble, they will fall, but soon they will join you in the sun. You, you know, the whole thing was about being an inspiration and imbuing the people of Earth with hope. So imagine my surprise when in Man of Steel, we don't see him instill anybody with any kind of hope. Okay. Aside from that one laughable moment when Jenny Olsen's like, he saved us as they stand amidst the destroyed city of like, yeah, what's left. But um, yeah, aside from the, yeah, that token moment where she said he saved us, you know, we don't really see him inspiring anyone to be better. We don't see any, we don't see him inspiring humanity to band together against a common enemy. We don't, you know, we didn't see anything like that. So for me, for Superman Legacy, I want to see a Superman that inspires people. I want to see a Superman who gives hope to a to 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 a population that has lost hope and that has lost faith and that feels unseen and unheard and and forgotten. I want Superman to arrive on the scene and suddenly make the 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 the, the unheard feel heard the unpowerful feel powerful because now they know they have the ultimate champion, the ultimate ally in their corner in Superman. So for me, the big thing I'm hoping to see from Superman legacy is a Kal-El that actually inspires the people of, of earth with hope. All right. And uh, that about does it. So those are the topics that you sent in. Those are the topics that I queued up. If you want to uh, interact with me some more, you could find me over on the Twitter at Superman on film. You could send questions and topics over to the fanboy podcast at gmail.com. And you could follow the show itself at the fanboy show on Twitter. All right. But uh, everyone, that does it for me. That does it for episode 178. If you have not yet, please consider leaving a review. Well, every time you like, rate, subscribe, and, 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 and share the word and spread the word about this here podcast, uh, an angel gets its wings. No, it, it, it's a wonderful thing for, for me and for Brett. And uh, thank you for everyone who's been with me for the last uh, five years. Because that's something that happened last month. We hit our five-year anniversary from the first show that happened in 2017. So, uh, yeah, thanks for five years of the Fanboy Podcast. And uh, thanks for your patience when I disappear for a few weeks or a few months at a time. Hopefully, I make the wait worth it. And I'm going to keep sticking to this month, this weekly thing right now. I'm even thinking of doing a live show next week. Uh, let's see how that works out. I will keep you posted. But uh, again, if you want to be posted, you got to follow me on the Twitter at the fanboy show at Superman on film to find out when I'm going to do a live streaming event here on StreamYard. You could join in. You could send in questions. You could be part of the recording of an episode of this here show. So um, until next week. Be kind and stay fanboy. Adios.